3: Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So glad you can join me each and every Saturday. Ten years, that's a lot of shows. Bringing the world of art and sports and surgery together. So much fun. I can't say I'm exhausted today because I had this week off. But I knew I'd be setting up the show because my guest's coming up at 8.15. You don't want to miss it is someone who knows a lot about comedy, which we could use right now. What makes life funny? Not a lot to laugh at right now, but nobody knows better what it is that we're searching for. The therapeutic nature of laughing better than George Schlatter. He created the number one show on television 1968 Rowan and Martin's laughing and the genius behind that show was that the host was not just one person. It was two. It was a straight man and it was the funny man. Dan Rowan and Dick Martin. And I can't wait to ask George Schlatter. The tricks behind that concept. That you have a tandem. The straight man and the funny man, the play by play guy and the analyst, Dr. Curlin, the great diagnostician and Dr. Job, the great surgeon. When you have that combination occur, who was Dan Rowan? Who was Dick Martin? Dick Martin was the funny one. Dan Rowan was the straight man. Let's listen to the two of them in this skit. Dick Martin pretends to be a doctor. Dan Rowan's just saying, you're not used to being on television in front of people in an audience, pretending to be the straight man, setting it up for his first appearance on TV, pretending to be this doctor who'd never been on TV before. The straight man you'll hear, setting it up, Dan Rowan, and wait till Dick Martin takes over. Let's go to number one.
1: I wanted to explain to you what's going to take place. Fine. Since you've seen the show, you know what we do. As yes, say, it's yeah. talk informal. Conduct yourself as if you're in your in your kitchen. We drop by for coffee. Oh, yeah, fine. A little chat in that fashion. It It'll all right? be my pleasure. There's, uh, there are a couple things I want you to think about, though. Uh-huh. We have the three cameras three <laughs> set up cameras? on this show. No, yes. Yes. We have one over here, yes. one right in the center, uh-huh. another camera over on that side. Uh-huh, now, all three of those cameras are immobile, Is so they're, where? they're fixed. <laughs> they're fixed They're stationary cameras oh they, oh they oh oh they don't travel so you what said fixed i was wondering <laughs> and now
3: dick martin takes over as the comedian dan roan has set him up by using the word fixed talking about those cameras number two
1: well they're fixed in place so i had my cat fixed we ago, go thursday <laughs> it's not this old terrible town we used to call him <laughs> yeah. so he busts right out of the bushes after <laughs> We <laughs> <laughs>
4: finally
1: went in, man. Yes, Doc. I want you to. He just sits in the bread box and stares at me. <laughs> doc, I, I really would like to get right in. We it. call him Sam. Spade. But, all right. I really don't need to hear any more about your your cat. no well...
3: there's a depth to the comedy. There's a depth to sports. There's a depth to surgery. When you have that contrast. I give full credit to Leonardo da Vinci, who, in in order to paint light in the painting, he recognized you got to paint shadow. If you paint the shadow, then you recognize the three-dimensional nature of life. Even though it's a painting, it's just two dimensions. The painting takes on a third dimension of depth when you have a shadow. And you appreciate the light. But no one really appreciates the straight man. They focus always on the one making the most noise, the comedian. But you know who appreciates that is the stem cell, the greatest comedian of the 20th century, Groucho Marx. He and his brothers, the Marx brothers, revolutionized the world of comedy But it was key to groucho that his brother chico would set him up as the straight man and groucho was the comedian well on the dick Cabot show groucho marx was the guest who did dick cabot now have on as another guest but dan rowan groucho marx could not help himself but to point out to dan rowan i watch you on laughing you're amazing you're the best straight man i've ever seen And I appreciate, as a comedian, the work that the straight man does. It made Dan Rowan uncomfortable, and you can hear it in his voice. But it's true. He's more important than the comedian. Let's listen to number
0: three. One night I met you in Chasens. Yes, sir. We were both having dinner, not at the same table. You were sitting with a group, five or six other people, and I walked up to you not knowing you, and I said, I think you're one of the greatest straight men I've ever seen. And you took umbrage at this. I was trying to compliment you, and you thought I was trying to insult you. I still think you're one of the greatest straight men I've ever seen. And I'm still taking umbrage. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've, sure. I've, but I appreciate it. true.
3: He doesn't know how to take a compliment, Dan Rowan, but he knows exactly what Groucho Marx is trying to tell him. Let's listen to number four.
0: I want to tell you something. There has never been a good comedian that didn't have a good straight man. You go down through the ages of all the great comedians. They Mm. always had a great straight man. In my case, it happened to be Chico, because he was my brother. Yeah. But he did what a normal guy, if it hadn't been my brother, would have been doing for me. But Chico also, I'm sorry. And I thought he was offended that night. No.
3: Now let's hear the response that Dan Rowan has, because he's going to tell Groucho, you were the comedian Groucho, so you know what it was like to become the star. And thank you for recognizing that it's because of Chico, you got to be that funny. This is what's great. Dan Rowan explaining nobody ever realizes the work that's behind the scenes by the straight man. Number five.
1: And I appreciate it very much because not very many people when you're working as a team uh, Ever say very much to this
0: the straight half of the team the straighter uh, half Let's well, I don't think um, the straight man means anything, but it's very important
1: and it's uh, well You know for a long
0: time you get off stage
1: and uh, people will go rushing right past you and, and pat dick on the back Say you are the funniest son of a gun I ever saw and I'm standing there ordering a drink, you know mm, And number six uh, yeah. And so the night that Groucho did that to me at Chasen's, number one, it's a very unusual thing for anybody to say. Number two, here is the guy who is the classic comedian to all people in comedy, mm-hmm. talking to me personally, which is a little discomforting in, in first place. Yeah. And in the third place, I don't... Uh, I'm, I'm really fairly uncomfortable when people say things like that to me. I don't know what
0: to say.
3: Just say thank you and recognize that the greatest comedian of the 20th century thinks you're amazing it was a beautiful moment well you know i love the world of art i love the world of sports and i love the world of surgery where do we see the straight man making the analysts look good where's the play-by-play guy the straight man teeing it up to give the broadcast depth something that george schlatter appreciated where do we see it in sports for me no one ever did it better than Pat Summerall as the straight man. Let's listen to number ten.
4: There's a lot of play-by-play guys, and when you hear them talk, to this, well, I got to lead the analyst. I'll help him. I'll lead him. Well, you don't help him by leading him. You help him by letting him look at the whole field and see where he's going to go, and then at the end, you tag it. He makes a little basketball twist there and pivot. And boom, the ball's there right again between the 8 and the 9. Oh, is he happy. What a throw from Anderson. That was his natural way. And I don't know that that's really understood today. I don't know that that's ever been understood.
0: He was willing to be the straight man to John Madden's show. And that says a lot about a guy and how secure he was
3: that was pat summerall well how did pat summerall get into this business he was a player he was a kicker for the new york giants this is in the infancy of television and football in the late 50s the good-looking quarterback for the new york giants was charlie connerly cbs says you know what how great would it be to have a football player be the person describing the football. Be great to have that good looking quarterback from the Giants. So CBS called looking for George Connolly. Well, he was gone. His roommate answered the phone to take a message. The roommate was Pat Summerall. And as Pat Summerall took the message, the guy at CBS says, you know what? You have a great voice. Maybe you should come down and audition. Pat Summerall had a, did not have a clue what he was going to do after football, but fate stepped in. Listen to Jim Nance telling the story, number one.
2: Pat kind of slipped into the business. It was truly fate. He was sharing an apartment with some of his Giants teammates, and they were looking for Charlie Connerly. It was a call from WCBS in New York. Ellen. And when Pat answered with that beautiful voice of his, He was asked, by the
0: way, why don't you come on down and audition? This is the attraction of pro football. Summerall got the job. Now, let's check the scores from yesterday. First of all, the Yankees had a good Sunday and beat the Senators at D.C. Stadium in Washington. Tommy Trash drove in four runs, and Ruben Amaro hit his first home run of this year.
3: So there you see the infancy of Pat Summerall just reading the news But people realized, and he realized, this is an art form. This is something where my creative juices can come out. Let's listen to number two. In
0: 1970, Pat was paired with Tom Brookshire on NFL Films This Week in Pro Football. Hey, Tom, I got a riddle for you. Okay. What is green, can't score, and is not welcome at home? You really know how to hurt a guy, (laughs) don't you, Pat? You know, they were kindred spirits. I think they saw that right off. As Will Rogers once said, Tom, I never met a man I didn't like, but obviously he never met a coach (laughs) on game day. Let's go to number three. In 1974, Pat switched from analyst to play-by-play and suggested that Brookshire join him on CBS's number one broadcast team the jets have won the toss and elected not to play <laughs> they were just natural people friends at the bar talking bsing of course the man that uh, is synonymous with jets is joe neyman
1: Wonder about joe we, we thought maybe he would stay up all night to make sure he wouldn't have to play in this game but <laughs> we probably did
3: the problem with tom brookshire was they were two peas in the pod they were too much alike it wasn't a straight man and a comedian it was two comedians And ultimately, that's what caused it to fail. But listen to Barbara Brookshire, Tom Brookshire's wife, talk about these two guys who loved each other, who were great, but could only take it so far, how they would mix it up. Number five.
0: They would take turns. One would write down a phrase or something, put it in an envelope, seal it, and give it to the other one. The other one was not allowed to open it until they sat down to do the game and they were on. Then they could open it and look at it and somewhere the broadcast they had to fit it in.
1: Any kid that collects rattlesnakes can't be all bad, right? Two, one, take remote. Can get the, the equipment working if my assistant Mr. Brookshire can on. do
0: that. Pat and Brookie's Theater of the Absurd included their pregame show appearances.
3: They changed the world of football. Let's go to number seven.
0: They call us the Sunshine Boys, and, you know, we rode pretty high when we were together. We were in New York City one night, and we ended up taking a ride in one of the Surrey's. So we got to the Plaza Hotel, and the handsome cab driver was an Irishman. They said, uh, "Hey, you fellas are having an awfully good time. I wish I could go with you. And I said, Well, come on. He said, Well, what am I gonna do with my horse? I said, Bring him. And we had him in almost into the elevator, but we couldn't get his head down to get him in the elevator. Two peas in a pod, but
3: it would be better if there was a contrast to give the broadcast depth. So they got rid of Tom Brookshire. Who are they gonna pair John Madden, who was gonna be a star, with? Was it gonna be Pat Summerall or Vin Scully? Let's listen to number
0: eight. the Tom wasn't great, but John was better and the potential was off the charts. So it became a question, okay, who do we put him with?
4: And the toss up was Pat Summerall, should he continue or Vin Scully? They had me work with Vin Scully. First half of the year. Hi, everybody. I'm Vince Gully, along with John Madden. And then switch and work with Pat. Good afternoon. I'm Pat Summerall with John Madden. And number nine. They were two different people who had totally different interests, but they came together to make maybe the greatest broadcasting team ever to be on sports television. Boom, we cross him. The left goes to the right, the right goes to the left. This guy crosses here, he crosses here. They have no idea where we are, who we are, where we're coming from, or who we're throwing to. Very interesting. The thing that was special was Pat. I mean, if I'd go like boom over a cliff, I mean, Pat would catch me and bring me back up, and we'd be, you know, first and 10.
3: Mm. can you imagine after all that, that's all he says is very interesting. But that's the job of the straight man. Let the comedic guy do his thing. It gives the the show depth. It gives the teaching of surgery depth to have Dr. Curlin and Dr. Job teach me. It makes the jokes funnier. It makes the sports better. And we'll learn more about the secret sauce from the man who knows it best, the great George Schlatter. Coming up next on The Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to The Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Carly's got a gift card for you. Start your weekend off right, listening to The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. K-L-A-P-P-A-H.
1: Clapper.
0: Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers.
3: <laughs> Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I am so happy and excited to talk to my next guest, the great George Slatter. George, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us.
2: Glad to be here. You see, Comics don't get up at this hour. Doctors do. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> The
3: world's a different place at this hour, that's for sure.
2: Comedians (laughs) usually throw up until noon, but you guys get up in the middle of the night. This is crazy.
3: (laughs) So tell me, George, I love the world of art. I love the world of sports, and I love the world of surgery, and I believe those worlds that I love are the same on some and many levels. You think I'm a little off-base analyzing the straight man and the comedian, the depth that you get when you have that contrast, take us back to your feelings about comedy and what happens when you have a straight man and why is he so important in comedy?
2: People don't understand the straight man. For instance, Groucho Marx was more than half the act. I mean, uh, Chico didn't do anything and Harpo never said anything. So (laughs) Groucho was the secret to that act, but he was much more than a straight man. He was, and he was mean. I, I love Groucho. He was mean, <laughs> which he was mean. that was part of being a straight man. You had to be. You mean to tell me? Now wait a minute. You know, they had to interrupt him, and you had to be rough. Dan, Dan was probably funnier than than Dick. Dan was much more than half of the act. Hmm. And Dick how did you how did you, you, how did you meet said, those guys? And gave him the wall to bounce off of. But you gave when we gave Dan a joke, he killed. He said, "Really?" Uh, we did. Uh, News of the future, 20 years from now. Uh, uh, state Vatican, with marriage in the church now an uh, accepted thing, the archbishop and his lovely bride, <laughs> former sister Mary Catherine, both announced this time it's for keeps, if only for the sake of the children. <laughs> uh, Dan, Row- Dan Rowan took that thing and killed, but that required a really strong definite, dogmatic, opinionated uh, performer. So Dan Dan was, uh, Dan was great. He, he was tough, though. You mean to tell me, you know, he was... He was on. You
3: know, I read about Dan Rowan's life as much as I could, knowing I'd have you on, and what a tragic life this man comes from. To some extent, the Greeks were right when they said tragedy and comedy, how much do you feel tragedy and comedy are interrelated?
2: Well, you, you only have to... You really want to know the answer to that? Yeah, I do. All you have to do is watch Donald Trump's acceptance speech. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you want tragedy and comedy? I mean, that... that, <laughs> that man, you know what my dream is? Tell me. Uh, uh, I am going to take his acceptance speech of the nomination, right? Mm-hmm. and I'm going to edit it and dub it like a, like a, a comedy. And I'm going to add rim shots and I'm going to add music and I'm going to add... Uh, you know, so when he says... Uh, uh, anything he says, we're going to put a laugh track underneath it. It would be hysterical. because <laughs> was, when, when he said, you know, I've made more jobs, we'll do... Boom, bam, rim shot. And, and, then, <laughs> and then... And he says. He says, "I'm all for America." We would do "ba ba 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 and so you would absolutely put it for what it is, which is he's, he's a hand puppet. He's a he's a comic, and wow. he's just think about think about think about Donald Trump as a comedian, not as a politician, and you'll feel much better about the country.
3: Someone that you cross paths with, which really is very important to today. And you've crossed paths with a lot of people in your long and beautiful life. Was Muhammad Ali? Uh, Give us some insight about what it was about the champ that inspired you so much.
2: Well, he was uh, first of all. First of all, he was funny, and he 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 knew, knew funny. But I mean, he was he had such secrets, and he was set so deep. He was. He was a major national treasure, and uh, they took away four of the best years he had because of the, his, his opposition to the war. Mm-hmm. And uh, we now know he was right, and uh, everybody should have opposed the war. But mm-hmm. what a sweet, gentle giant he was, you know. And uh, uh, one of his fights, he came over to the house to watch the fight, and wow. uh, uh, we we had some people over, and we went in the bedroom, but he had to go in the room and pray for an hour before he could watch the fight. Wow. And, uh, but he was, he was what a sweet, gentle, but also very funny man.
3: What is it about Frank Sinatra that appealed to you so much
2: uh, that we perhaps don't appreciate? What is this, an hour show? <laughs> I mean, I mean, there were many different Frank Sinatras. I had, I had such fun with that man, uh, uh, My first day at MCA, I was like 17 years old, and I got a job in the mail room. And I was given the mail to take to the boss of MCA down the hall. And when I went down there, they said, Sinatra's in the building. And all of the agents came in and followed Frank Sinatra down the hall. into And I had this piece of paper that I was supposed to give the boss, right? And when he arrived, he was going to sign his new contract. And the thing with Sinatra was that they represented Sinatra, but he never paid him commission. Because to represent Sinatra meant they could sell all of their other acts. So I'm standing there, and Sinatra comes walking in, and I mean, it was terrifying. I mean, you didn't realize. First of all, you thought he was much bigger. He was a, not a big man. He was a small man. And I'm just standing there. Everybody's in black, and I'm in a plaid suit. You know, <laughs> looking, like, looking like a comic Valentine. <laughs> so Sinatra comes in, and signs this contract, which many paid no commission, but they represented him. He signed the contract, and he looked at me and he said, here, is this okay? Well, I mean, you know, the, the humidity in my drawers soared. I went, uh, <laughs> I said, yes. Yeah. So he signs the contract, and as he starts to leave, he turns around and looks at me and he says, I have ties older than this guy. <laughs> From then on, Sinatra and I had a, we had a relationship up until when he died. But, I mean, I did things with him. The secret with Sinatra was making him laugh. And uh, if you could make him laugh, you could break the coil, you know, but he was, he was an experience. You had to stand up to him.
3: George Schlatter clearly making people laugh from Sinatra to the guy at the grocery store. It's in your fiber. It's in who you are. When did you see this? Were you the class clown in kindergarten? Was it, is it in you? Did you see it in your mom and dad? Your uncle,
2: oh, I was, did I in, I was six years old. And I was in grade school, and they did a production of Jack and the Beanstalk. And I played the giant, which required me to have a chicken and to come down this ladder with the chicken. You know the story of Jack and the Beanstalk? No, tell me. Well, it was, you know, the, 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 the giant stole the chicken. And uh, so anyhow, I came down the ladder with this chicken, and the chicken relieved himself all over my green tunic. <laughs> And I'm six years old, right? My mom is there, the, the, and the audience was all the parents were there, and they were horrified. Here I am, covered with chicken guano, right? <laughs> and, and I was embarrassed too. But when I heard them laugh at what I looked like, I loved that. I loved that sound, and I've been covered with chicken droppings ever since. Oh, my God. But, I mean, that was the first time I heard that laugh. I said, boy, that feels good, you know? It
3: feels good. It hit you like a I haven't gotten a laugh
2: that big with my clothes on ever since.
3: (laughs) George, I I would love to... I'm going to take a break. Can you just hang on? I want to do another segment with you.
2: Well, I've got to talk to you. That's the the big thing. Forget
3: comedy. (laughs) I want to talk
2: about surgery.
3: Okay. It'll be my pleasure. We're talking to the great George Schlatter, one of the funniest men in front of the camera, and behind the camera that I've ever met. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.
1: You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai
3: What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. From now on, I am not Robert Clapper. I want you to call me Smokey. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Dr. Smokey Clapper. That's the greatest.
0: Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers.
1: Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning
4: last.
3: Welcome back, Weekend, Weekend Warriors. Morning, Simon and Garfunkel. Stars. That's another great tandem. Giving their music tremendous depth, just like a straight man and a comedian. And nobody knows the world of comedy better than my guest, the great George Schlatter. George! All right, it's my turn to go to work. How's your knee doing? It's still early in the game. It's going to take a whole year because of how bad it was. But now it's your turn to ask me some questions.
2: Well, it was uh, for you to be doing a show about comedy right away as a surprise, you know. <laughs> Not only are you a surfer, but you are perhaps the most brilliant surgeon and sculptor. The statues you do are just magnificent. Thank you. Thank I had you. trouble with my knee for many, many years, and I didn't want anybody to touch it. Finally, when I saw your sculpture, right, all of the stuff you have, I said, Well, we'll give this a shot. <laughs> so, so I go Thank in, you. And I am terrified, right? So I meet this charming man with all of the great sculpture, and uh, you performed this thing on my knee, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what a strip this was, because <laughs> first of all, people now, the scar doesn't exist. It was a, I think you opened me up for about a foot and a half. And all kinds of the stuff in my knee. I can't wait till I try to go through a metal detector. But anyhow, anyhow you fixed my, you fixed my knee, and now people come over to the house just to look at the scar. <laughs> you're magnificent. It's magnificent. the only body part I'm not ashamed of. <laughs> but, but you are, you are magnificent. Now, for you to be doing a comedy show just doesn't make sense to me. But the, what you do is not funny. But. It's, yeah. But it's wonderful to hear that you appreciate comedy, you know. I appreciate really the,
3: the fact that you, you have your own operating room, George Schlatter, where you were such an innovator with cameras and camera angles. And it, it, to make it onto the screen, the work that's behind it, it's just like looking at that scar on your knee. The work that's behind it, the reason the scar looks so quiet on your knee is because my teacher, Ranawat, who invented the knee replacement at the hospital for special surgery where I trained, they used to say that when he operated, it was as though he was looking at a rose in full bloom and he would just pull the petals of the rose one at a time off. And that's how he went through the layers, skin, epidermis, dermis, the fascia, the, the fat, the layers that make up our body, just respecting them as separate layers, like a seven layer cake. If you do that as a surgeon, then you inflict less trauma on the tissues that have nothing to do with the damage. And they appreciate that. And that's how you bounce back that much quicker from a major operation. So thank you for the kind well, words. It doesn't look
2: like you did stitches. It looks like you crocheted it. I mean, uh... yes. Yes, my my mother was
3: a nurse, and that was her hobby. She really? loved knitting and crocheting. So I probably watched her more than I watched the plastic surgeons, who I learned how to sew things up from. I watched my mother doing her knitting and crocheting. You're totally right.
2: Well, my, can I ask you a question? I need gave me trouble for a long time, and and uh, I used to look like a muppet trying to tap dance. But now <laughs> I can walk pretty good and straight, and uh, I'm very grateful to you.
3: It's my pleasure, George Slatter. And it's still early in the game until it's 365, that 366 day. That's when I want to talk to you because it takes nine months to have a baby. Why is that? Why nine months? That's a long time because God didn't ask me. That's why it takes a whole year to get all of that trouble out. Yes, you have new cartilage, a new joint that I resurfaced, but those muscles hated living with that arthritic joint for so many years. That's why it takes a whole year to bring them back to life. And you, I can't wait to talk to you on the day after it's a year, which will be great.
2: Well, you're amazing. You really are. Amazing. But to imagine the fact that you are a joke junkie, right, <laughs> that appreciates rim shots and then still can come in and put the crochet a new knee for me. It's amazing. Well,
3: that's a Renaissance man, and I think on many levels that's what you are, George Flatter. That's why we get along so well, because you recognize, and what I just learned from you in the first segment talking to you, is the straight man has to actually know better. Dan Rowan needed to know better than Dick Martin what was funny, and actually had to subjugate his funny. To make the other guy look good but he was actually funnier than dick martin which is amazing
2: many times and uh uh, uh, that that's our problem with the president he needs a straight man you know
3: (laughs) can i talk to you about and maybe this is uncomfortable i don't know that but what really made you know you appreciate the sculptures i make well in my house growing up there wasn't any money to send robbie clapper to art classes there, was, there wasn't any money. So what I did, because I knew I loved art, was my art classes was sitting down with Mad Magazine and a blank piece of paper and trying to copy the drawings of Mort Drucker, who I got to be very good friends with later in life. Um, but he was my art teacher, in essence, growing up. And one of the writers that you picked... To be in Laughin, was the writer for the Odd Father and Jaws and all the classic Mad Magazine stories. Was Larry Siegel? Tell me a little bit about Larry Siegel and Mad Magazine in your life.
2: Well, Mad Magazine also had a cartoonist in there that became the most famous cartoonist, Sergio Aragonés. Yes, he did all of those drawings. He lives in Ohio. I've met him. Well, he's marvelous. Yeah. What speak of America? sorry. So now, uh, uh, Sergio was there and he was probably... But Larry Siegel, Larry, Larry came in. There was a whole group of those people. They were all kind of outcasts. They, mm-hmm. them were taken from other shows. They were one of them was a professor of political science in Bemidji, Wisconsin. So there was yeah. a strange group of people, and Larry Siegel was one of them. So it's fitting that he was writing for Mad Magazine, which was a real trip, you know. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, but there's always there's always. It sounds serious. It sounds crazy. There's always a serious side to comedy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and if you can find that button, then you can, then you can make it. We're going to do mm-hmm. I love laughing, but we're going to do a new show now that will cause more trouble after I get through adding a laugh track to Trump <laughs> right, and rim shots and music and everything. We're going to do a show called "Speak Up America." I did a show 40 years ago called mm-hmm. "Speak Up America," where we took important issues. Like gun control and abortion and marriage in the church, and then we had people debate both sides. Hmm. Uh, we're going to do a called speak up, speak up, America, and that that should get me in trouble. We did nine shows, and then the NBC news department made them cancel it because they, <laughs> we were too controversial and we were too uh, we were dealing with important subjects. So they they made us cancel. It. And now you know, thank God they're canceled. So what are you going to do?
3: So George, Super- you very happily live in the world of creativity but also the world of business you very few people have that capability this is why artists get taken advantage of in life because they just want to be artists and people take advantage of that but nobody ever took advantage of George Schlatter what was the secret of being a businessman as well as being able to make a living in a creative world
2: uh, a lack of fear. What happened is we would go in, and uh, I was not afraid to get fired. And I, was, I think I was fired more than any producer in television. <laughs> uh, because, and I'm going to get fired again when we do Speak Up America. <laughs> uh, Laugh-In was an accident. They didn't mean to buy it. It was, it was uh, done uh, the day after the uh, uh, Miss America contest, and they didn't have anything else to put on in there so they bought laughing as, a, as an accident and we went in and uh, they didn't like it because they said it didn't make sense it was too fast so i said i'll recut it i tightened it down some more and we walked in with a show that was really revolutionary when you think about how long it was, mm-hmm. and the fast cuts and the fact we did editing that wasn't even possible then but that was that was it it, it was an adventure an ability and, a, and an obsession with swimming upstream and that's what mm-hmm. we laughed and the uh, and that's what made it work. And Goldie Hahn was a dancer. She wasn't a comedian. And she came, she came in. And I mean, she was just so adorable and so charming. So, but we, she wasn't a comic. So we didn't know what to do with it. So we gave her an introduction of Dan Rowan. And she screwed it up so bad. And, it was, and she said, Oh, I'll do it again. I said, Don't you touch that woman. You leave it alone. Ever, ever <laughs> touch that woman again. And Wow. So from then on, she never got a chance to look at the cue cards. She never got a chance to rehearse. And everything, we just made her make those mistakes.
3: Did you have a mentor, George Schlatter, or was it just you making it up as you went along and, and trusted that if it made you laugh, it was funny to everyone else? We did. We had a
2: script. We would shoot the script, and then we would go play. And we did When You realize that Lily Tomlin is one of the greatest improvisational comedians that we ever had. And she would come in with these wild characters, and uh, we would put them on. And if it worked, we'd use it. And if it didn't work, we wouldn't use it. But it usually worked. Ruth Buzzi was another one. And she came in with these crazy, crazy characters. She auditioned in the Xerox room on a tin piano, singing her own composition of Don't Futz Around. (laughs) (laughs) Now, in that, you breed a superstar, you know. But you trust Joanne Worley instinct. And sounding like an air raid warning. And Artie Johnson was selling suits at Carol's. And he came to my house, and he as, as he was the Easter Nazi. He laid Easter eggs all over our front lawn. Now, this sounds weird, but it was weird. But at that point, they were ready for something different. NBC was dying, and so we came in with all of these wonderful, wonderful Lily, Goldie, Joanne, you know, Artie. And, uh, and we, we played. We would tape until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And then the, we would do the joke wall last, you know, with all those people behind the wall. What went on behind that wall should never be reported. <laughs> but it was, so, George, it was an accident. We should so never insimile. eliminate accident from our lives. You shouldn't. You, leave. You, you keep accident out of your line of work. But it works for me.
3: I love it. Ken, I have to ask you one last but question. Did
2: I ever thank you for the job you did on my knee?
3: You did. Thank you.
2: I, George, I have
3: one last question.
2: All right, wait a minute, okay.
3: Is it that you felt confident in what you thought was funny would be funny for everyone else? Yeah. Was That's where it came from? Yeah.
2: I mean, my it's, wife, Jolene, understand, was was the girl on the Kovac show. So she was a real appreciation of, of comedy. My daughter, Maria, wound up editing it. And what we would do is, there were no rules. We were constantly hit with "you can't say that," "you can't do that," "you shouldn't do this," and we would do it anyhow, and then deliver it and take a chance. And so when mm. NBC looked at it, they didn't even like the show. They didn't want to air it because wow. it was fast and whatever. So, uh, and that's what made it work. And so I've been making, I've been living off of my mistakes ever since. But I, <laughs> do it. George, I
3: want to thank you for waking up early to be with us. Of all the guests I've interviewed over 10 years, you make me smile the most. I want to thank you so much for being there.
2: Listen, doctor, thank you for my knee. I now don't walk like a comic valentine, thank (laughs) you. It's my pleasure,
3: my pleasure. Thanks again, George. I really
4: appreciate it. Thanks, Chris,
3: for making it happen. All right, Warriors, coming up next, the clinic will be open. We'll have a few minutes. The number is 877-710-ESPN. And I want to tell a story about going to visit a prosthetics shop in Ventura. I'll explain. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors show here on seven ten ESPN.
1: You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar Sinai. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. Maganda umaga. Start your
4: weekend
3: off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Cells are just tiny people.
0: Every Saturday morning from seven to nine a.m. on ESPN seven ten, home of the Los Angeles ladies
3: Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. This song, right here, Michelle Branch and Carlos Santana is the song I'm bringing with me if I'm deserted on an island in the middle of nowhere. And it's a tandem. It's Carlos Santana. He's the straight man. He's playing that guitar. He's the touchstone, allowing this flowery, fragrant essence of Michelle Branch's voice to color in the black and white drawing. It's a perfect song, in my opinion, The Game of Love. Next week, I cannot wait. My guest... I love talking about and talking to doctors, but he's actually my doctor. He's a colon and rectal specialist, Tom Sokol. Because I want to talk to him about hemorrhoids. Yep, they're funny. Not until you have them. And I got a great clap revision for hemorrhoids. You ready? If your colon is the 405 freeway, the main thoroughfare, the end of your intestines, your colon, your rectum. If there's too much traffic on the 405, thanks to apps like Waze, you get off the freeway, and you go up the service road, and that is Sepulveda. In my opinion, the 405 freeway is your colon, and the veins along that parallel the 405 freeway. Just like Sepulveda parallels the 405 freeway are the veins that parallel the colon. And a hemorrhoid is when you get off to get on Sepulveda because there's too much traffic on the 405 and you actually find there's even more traffic on on Sepulveda because of the lights. That's a hemorrhoid. Every one of those stoplights on the Sepulveda road that parallels the 405 every one of those traffic lights is a hemorrhoid can you imagine what next week's going to be like talking to Dr. Tom Sokol about hemorrhoids he doesn't know what's waiting for him me with some clap revision about hemorrhoids this week I told you I took the week off and I got to surf in the beginning of the week because of the intense heat And the moisture of the ocean, and I'm not a meteorologist, but the fog that was there at 5.30 in the morning before the sun came up, and I'm already in the ocean, was so intense. I did not know what was front, back, where the shoreline was. I didn't know up or down. I knew down because I was sitting on my surfboard. But that's it. And it made me think about what I was taught. Robbie, if you're ever in an avalanche, not like I'm ever gonna be one, but if it ever happened to me, I was taught that if you're a mountain climber or a skier and all of a sudden the top of the mountain decides to shift and the snow comes piling down and you get caught in that avalanche and you're buried under snow it's so disorienting that you start digging but many times the mountain climber digs in the wrong direction and digs deeper because they're disoriented this is what happened to jfk jr in his plane crash he thought he was going out of the downturn of his plane because he couldn't read instruments apparently so he was going by his feel and as he's trying to accelerate from crashing to earth he thought he's accelerating away from the earth but in fact the opposite was the case he was accelerating towards the earth and that was his plane crash that's what disorientation means So the tip I was told is, Robbie, if you're ever in an avalanche and you're disoriented and you're upside down and backwards and you don't know where you are, and I thought about this while I was sitting on my surfboard this week in the thickest fog I'd ever been in, I was told, just drool out of your mouth. Make some saliva and let it drip out of your mouth you'll feel the saliva either going towards your nose or towards your chin. That'll tell you which way is down. And so I thought about that this week. If the fog got too great and I didn't, couldn't even figure out which direction I was in, I thought maybe if I start to drool, I'll know which direction it is. Fortunately, I didn't need to do that, and I had the greatest morning surfing, even though it was dense fog. And I had a beautiful experience this week in Ventura, because I visited one of the guys I surf with. He makes braces for people with polio, people who've had their leg amputated. John McAtee. His place is called Channel Islands Prosthetics and Orthotics. He's going to be a guest on the show in a few weeks, because I want to talk about something called the Cheetah which is a new way to make a brace for someone with an amputation so that they could still run in a marathon. Can you imagine? So I went to visit the shop one of these days this past week. I think it was Thursday. And when I went into the shop, there are 10 different people, and I was wearing a mask, 10 different people at different workbenches working on different braces for different patients. But up on the wall was a speaker you know what they were playing? All day long as these men work, they're listening to ESPN. So when I walked into the shop, they came, all of them came up to me to tell me how much they love the Weekend Warriors Show and how they love Mason and Ireland. It gives me great pride to know that people who work hard like I do and enjoy doing and my father did They listen to the radio, like my dad did. And they appreciate, each and every week, what I do here, just like you do. So I can't thank you enough for telling all your friends and your family, because it's been a long time now, 10 years, and thanks to Cedar sinai and Brian Croft, and Gordon Kolodny, we're gonna keep doing it. So until next week, I'll see you on the radio. In the meantime, I leave you with Volare, which means I'm singing and I'm flying. Make sure you do that this week. Have a good week.